Father, we do uh, thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to just, Lord, it's great to gather together, to come and to be here. And now we just ask, God, as we open up your word, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to grow and we want to learn and we want to be, we want to be, especially what we're going to look at here, we want to be those, those mature believers. We want to put on our big boy pants. So I do pray that you would, you would just minister to our hearts right now and, 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 and Lord, just use this time to encourage us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I don't know how many of you remember because I kind of forgot, I have to be honest, I kind of forgot that we didn't finish last week's teaching. So we kind of stopped at verse 12 as we, I don't know how many of you remember that. Some of you do. So if I wouldn't have taught it, you guys would have told me afterwards, right? Like, why'd you skip those five verses? And I would have said, because I don't want to teach them. That's why. But I got warning ahead of time, so we're going to do those tonight, and we're going to look at those. So again, thinking about kind of getting back into where we left off and thinking about the church and what the church is and who the church is and what is all of this all about? I think it's vitally important as we, as we just stop and think, what is this about? It's not a social club, I hope. It's not where we just come together and pay our dues and, you know, we meet a couple times a week and we go home, we discuss some things and go home. The church, listen, I believe our main influence is to grow to become mature so that people can see how great God is. I think the church exists to be mature. Now listen, I know we exist to evangelize, yeah. But we also, hey, we're supposed to be people who are serving one another, people who are doing the work of the ministry. That's what it's all about. And it is sad, no matter what church you're at, no matter where you're at, not everybody is a participant. There's a whole bunch of people watching. We, I think I said last time about football, right? If you watch football, there's, you know, it used to be, I don't know how many people get to go to the stands now, but it used to be, right, 35, 40,000 people watching 22 guys who need, desperately need to rest, and the 35,000 need exercise, right? And you're kind of doing that. Well, you know what? The church isn't a lot different. There's a whole bunch of, like, people that are watching, and they're not doing. And so, Paul, writing to this church in Ephesus, again, I want us to kind of think about, this was a church that was kind of struggling in their own city. So we have something a little bit different. They, you know, in Hebrews, we're looking at some Jews who were just like really having it tough because of their Judaism. These guys weren't having it tough so much as they were just trying to do life. There are people in the first century who got saved, who are trying to work through it and trying to move forward and do things. And so Paul is writing them, encouraging them. And he's told them so far, listen, man, he's told them great things, right? This is who you are in Christ. This is your inheritance. This is, you know, hey, you're seated in the heavenlies. All of those good things are meaningful. But then he gets down to, because all of that's true, here's, here's what should be going on in your life, and you shouldn't just be a spectator, you should be a participant. You should be part of what's happening. So last time we looked at the gifts, I call it, the gifts or the offices he gave to the church. And again, I'm gonna put these scriptures, I, I, I almost always say I'm gonna throw these scriptures up, but I don't wanna throw up. So I'm gonna put these scriptures up again, you know, and remember Romans chapter 12, 
the gifts are listed. I call those motivational gifts. First Corinthians chapter 12, I call manifestational. And you can, you know, you guys can say, I don't like the way you do that. I do it my own way. That's okay, I don't care. You can do that, but that's just my putting it together. And then Peter is my favorite, because Peter just says, hey, here's, here's the breakdown of all the gifts. There are those who speak and those who serve. And if you speak, do it in the spirit. And if you serve, do it in the spirit. I love that. You know, Peter's kind of that practical guy. And then these here, and these are the offices that he gave to the church. Now, a lot of churches in our generation, people will come and say, do you believe in the fivefold ministry? And, you know, that's a question sometimes we get asked. And, and you know, I, I always tell people, uh-huh. And then I say, but I don't believe what you believe because I know what you believe because the way you asked me. So again, we looked at those, and I'm not gonna go over every one, but we looked at those. Well, let's read verse 11 again. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So we went over those, we talked about those. I do not believe there's apostles today. I believe there are sent ones, and you know, people always try and kind of massage that and say, well, you know, apostle really means sent one, and missionaries are apostles, and, and I understand what they're saying, but I'm talking about we could say it this way I'm talking about apostles with a capital A right the ones there were only a certain number of apostles and they had qualifications that they gave in the book of Acts if you want to read those go back and read Acts chapter 1 Acts chapter 2 kind of figure that out but listen that was handled I don't believe there's that sense that that office that official office of apostle today and then the same kind of with prophets because Twice in Ephesians already he says we're built on the faith or, or the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They laid the foundation. Now I believe there's the prophetic gift that God gives. And listen, when we talk about that, I like to emphasize when you talk about a prophetic gift, it doesn't always mean, you know, foretelling the future or giving the future. Oftentimes it means forth telling the word of God, just giving out the word of God. So, hey, I believe, listen, I believe that exists, that gift working through people. I believe it's a manifestational gift, and I believe it's also a motivational gift. You know, there are people who, you know, everything's black and white to them, and you're just going, dude, could you just lighten up a little bit? And they go, no. Because they see things that way. God built them that way. And, you know, here's the thing. When we see people that way, we should say, praise God. Now listen, they don't have to be rude. I'm not saying, you know, that they have to be jerks for Jesus. But they see things very clearly. And it's very well defined for them. And we should thank God that we have those people who are that way. Just like we should thank God that we have people with a gift of mercy. And we should thank God that we have people with a gift of administration, et cetera, et cetera. So, but here, that office of a prophet, I think, again, was done away with. And then he says we have evangelists, which I believe we have today, and a gift of evangelism. And we talked about that somewhat. Remember, I think all of us should do the work of an evangelist. In other words, we should be able to share our faith and share with people, but not all of us have the gift of evangelism. I think that's, you know, and I personally think that's kind of given out far and few between. And I've had a few people that have come across my path that personally I, I have known that, you know, they, 
they just walk down the street and people stop them. How do I, how do I get saved? And I'm just going, how does that happen with you? Like, you know, and, and so they just have that gift and it just kind of oozes out of them. But we did say this, and I was talking with uh, one of our, our younger guys on staff here. An evangelist, I said last time, is the obstetrician of the church. They bring the babies about. And that's a good thing. Now, an interesting thing is usually evangelists, they're not real deep teachers. They're not theologians. They're not prophets. They're evangelists. And so don't get, sometimes people get, well, you know, he didn't do this. You know, Billy Graham, what did Billy Graham teach for, you know, 560 years? I think that's how long he lived. But what was it, man? It was this, you know, it's that same message, right? He says, you know, and that's who he was. So don't get uptight. So evangelists bring the babies. And then he says, we have the pastors and teachers. I combine those because he doesn't put that, you know, he says some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He doesn't say in some pastors and some teachers. So I think that's kind of a combined gift. And I think the pastors and teachers are the pediatricians of the body of Christ. They're the ones who help us to grow. So we can grow and we can be strong and we can, we can be what God wants us to be. So having said that, now we can pick up where we left off and we can talk about, listen, he said, you have those, verse 12, for the equipping, and I know we covered this some, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, he just laid out, listen, he just laid out, and I don't think we always see it, the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to grow up in Christ and to serve. And he says, listen, God gave these offices, these certain individuals, church leaders, to the church, and we do have apostles and prophets today, that foundation is called our Bible. So we have that to get into, and then we have evangelists and pastors and teachers, so that why, what does he say their purpose is? For the equipping, so that we can come together, and he says, man, they're there to equip the saints for what? For the work of the ministry. We're all supposed to be involved somewhere in this whole thing, ministry. Now, listen, having said that, I don't don't want you to think that I'm thinking you have to be involved in ministry here. Although if this is your church home, I think you should be, but that's between you and the Lord. He can show you. But you can be involved in ministry that's not really connected with this church, and that's your business, and that's fine. But are you involved in ministry? Listen, and don't tell me, well, yeah, I am involved in ministry, but you know what? It's kind of a secret coded ministry, and if I tell you what I'm involved in, I'll have to kill you. Because we're kind of, you know, we've, we've gotten certain classifications. You know, like most of you people working for the government here, you know, I ask guys and, and ladies all the time, what do you do up on post if I tell you I have to kill you? <laughs> and so some Christians are that way. Now, I'm not saying those of you doing that aren't working. I guess I got to, like, back up here and cover myself. But sometimes as Christians, we skip that part of our Christianity. We think God saved us just to get us to heaven. Listen, if God saved you just to get you to heaven, don't you think the wisest thing to do would be the moment you say the prayer, just take you out of here? That's what I think, because then you'd be in heaven, right? Why did he leave us here? To do the work of the ministry. That's what he left us here for. 
And so we as a church, listen, as a church to function and be what God intends for us to be, we all got to do our parts. And listen, that doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that some of us, and we talked about this, some of us are greater than others, but we all have to do our parts. And I believe my part is feeding and nourishing. That's what I do. And I just want to feed you, and I want to give you the best meal. And, and I love what John MacArthur says as pastors and teachers. He says this. He says, our job is to get from the kitchen or from the Lord to you the meal that he's prepared without getting our thumbs in the mashed potatoes. Right? That's what we're supposed to In other words, here's what he's saying. We're not supposed to get our fingerprints on what God is doing. It's God's work. And all we are is vessels that's used by him. So again, we're equipping. We're supposed to be equipped to do the ministry. I need feeding to do the ministry that I do, and you need feeding to do the ministry you do. And we do the ministry, and then listen, as he says this, he says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. All of this is for edification. What does edification mean? You know, once again, if you haven't been saved very long, you're not used to those kind of words, right? And I hope, I pray, that if you're not used to them, you're looking them up. When I first got saved, I read the Bible with a dictionary. Because there's words in there like, I didn't use, I never went around before I was saved. Hey, is that very edifying? Like, I never, I didn't have a clue. So I read my Bible, and it says edifying, and I'm going, I wonder what that means, because it sounds a little weird. I'm not sure I want to catch that. So to look things up, and what does it mean to be built up, to be strengthened, right? And we're supposed to be, listen, we're supposed to be, listen to the heart of Paul and the heart of God, edifying the building up of the body of Christ. That's what church is all about. Are you getting? Church is all about building the body of Christ. Why is that so important? So that the world can see what God does in the lives of people who come together and actually become the church and do what the church is supposed to. And the world can see that and go, there is a great God. Because look at those guys. Look at what's happening there. That's not natural. I don't think it's very natural. I look around this room tonight. I don't think it's very natural of the people that I see gathered here. I don't think you would gather with these people if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't think you would even, some of us wouldn't even go in the same room with some of us. Some of us would cross the street when we saw some of us coming. But God has put us together. Do you get my point? Why? So that we can be the church, the body of Christ. Then he goes on. Listen, all of this in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to, a measure and, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I read verse 13 and I'm going, wow, that's a lot. I kind of like verse 12. I think it's attainable. I look at that, and we can equip the saints. We can do the work of the ministry. We can build up the body of Christ. But then, man, I look at 13, and, and I think, hey, we might even be able to do the unity of faith. Now, what's important there, again, is he's talking about unity, not uniformity. He's not telling us we all have to be the same and dress the same and get the same haircuts and, you know, praise God, huh? It always bugs me when cultish type 
Christian ministries make everybody kind of try to look alike. That's not unity, that's uniformity. Unity means, listen, and here's what he's saying. We come together with the unity of faith. Again, not talking about faith to be saved, talking about the body of faith that we believe and we're unified on that. And here's what I I find amazing is we can come together as a bunch of strangers from wherever, all walks of life, all different areas, all ethnicities, all races, and we can come together on different, and we're different social levels, different economic levels, and we come together and we have, what's a unifying thing that we have? The gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ, the faith, and that brings us together. And we agree, listen, we agree on the essentials. We can, on non-essentials, and again, it doesn't mean we agree on everything, because to quote Robert Farrell, if we agreed on everything, one of us isn't thinking. And then he finishes it with, and I know I am. So, you know, think about that. But listen, again, there's things that we're not gonna agree on, that's okay. I'm talking about not essentials, but the essentials of faith, we have unity on. When we gather together as a staff, I pray almost every Tuesday, I thank God that we can lock arms lock hearts and come together to serve and do what God has called us to do. That's that unity. We're gonna lock arms and we're gonna go forward. And listen, man, we gotta stand against the world and we have to be that church. So he says we have that unity of faith and then he keeps going, right? That one we can almost, I can almost get my head around it. But then he says, and the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Once again, I can almost get my head around that. I believe, listen, I believe I'm continually growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. I don't have a complete understanding of everything that I need to know about Jesus. I believe we're gonna be growing continually. I believe even when we're glorified, even when we get to heaven, we're still gonna learn. Listen, if you get to heaven and that means you know everything there is to know about the Son of God, meaning God, if you know everything there is to know about God, you know what that makes you? God. You're not gonna know everything. I know some people get really disappointed. Some people like, for sure? Like I thought when I was gonna get to heaven, I would know. No, you're gonna learn. You're gonna spend eternity learning and growing in the knowledge of who God is. Hallelujah, I'm glad we can't figure him out. I'm glad he's deeper than that. And I'm glad we can't put him in a box. I'm glad that he doesn't even fit in systematic theology. I got got four different systematic theologies in my office. And they all come up with different things. And I think, you know what? God doesn't fit any of those because he's God. So we're gonna come, we're gonna come to the unity of faith. Listen how good this is. And we're gonna come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Now listen again, he's not talking about complete knowledge, but we're gonna grow that. Now here's the weird part to me. To the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is he talking about? Because I don't believe we're gonna reach sinless perfection. I don't believe we're ever gonna become perfect till we get to heaven. And then, listen, we're gonna get that new body because we're dragging around this hunk of flesh that really messes us up. Does your flesh mess you up? Yeah. And a little bit about next week. I always like to think about this because when we get to heaven, people, you know, will often ask, what kind of body are we gonna get? A whole bunch better than the one we have. I like to tell people that. And listen, God's not gonna take this body and, like, fix it up. 
One person put it this way. You can take it, remember, for those of you who are older, remember the old metal galvanized garbage cans? Remember how beat up they got? Man, they got nasty on the inside. They got funky, and they, you know, the garbage men always, it seemed like they always, the very first time they did it, they take it and hit it on the side of the truck. They have a big old dent in your garbage can, right? And you're going, why do you do that? And someone said this, you can take that garbage can and you can scrub it and you can steam clean it and you can put, this will date me, you can put a metal flake paint job on there. Do a little bit of tuck and roll interior. It's really dating. And you know what you have? A really nice garbage can. And when people say that's what God's gonna do with my body, that's what I think. I don't wanna take this body to heaven. I'm done with it. I want a new body. I don't want a fixed up one. I don't want him taking this and knitting it and putting it together. I want a new one. So listen, that's what we get. But what is he talking about when we can be that perfect man, right? He says we're gonna come to, uh, to, to a perfect man to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. I interpret this this way. That he's telling us if we truly do what we're supposed to do as a body of Christ, that we're gonna become what Jesus sees us as. Do you understand that Jesus sees your potential and Jesus knows exactly what you can do? And I think, listen man, I think Jesus sees us so different than we see ourselves. And when he says to the fullness of Christ, God has something for us. And if we truly become the church, we will build each other up to such a degree. We won't be fighting and bickering and me, 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 and doing that. We'll be building up and we will begin to see the potential in one another. And we will begin, check this out, we will begin to fulfill that potential. I wanna be, I wanna be what Jesus sees me as. I wanna be all of that. And I want to glorify him. And, you know, I, again, I believe most of us feel this way. I want to get to heaven. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not that I'm earning something, but, man, he, listen, he says, here's what I want to do in your life. Yield to me. Do this. And this is all he's saying here. Let's be the church and let's do this. And, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Listen, man, as he talks about this, let's not be a bunch of crazy kids. What do children do? Children have fun, right? And some of us say, well, we could have a little fun. Well, I think we have fun. But isn't it a drag and we touched on this some last week. Isn't it a drag when you see children running the family? I don't think anybody likes that. You know what? I don't even think the parents that are getting run by the children like that. They're not going to do anything about it. But nobody likes that. Nobody goes, oh, that is such a nice family. I think I'll have them over. No. And do you know what? I believe 80% of the churches in America are run by the children. They're not run by leadership. They're not run by godly men. They're run by the children. That's a heartache. That's bad. And we need to understand, listen, he says, don't be children. 
tossed to and fro. You know, I, again, in our generation, I talk about it all the time. We are people where we have the greatest advantage, I think, of any generation. And I know, you know, 20 years from now, if the Lord tarries, someone's going to stand and say, oh, Pat was so wrong. Our generation has the greatest advantage. But we have such an advantage right now of, of growing and getting teaching and becoming mature and, 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 and the ability to do that. But we also have this danger of being tossed to and fro. Listen, here's what he's saying. First you're over here and you're like, woo, this is great. Then you run over here and you go, woo, this is great. And then you run over here and you run by your emotions and you're hearing things, listen, and they tickle your ears. I think Paul says to Timothy, they'll not put up with sound doctrine, but they'll listen to things that tickle the ear. And you go, oh, that sounds so good. I hope that's true. We're supposed to grow up, people. And you know what I do watch physically in our world, adults make a lot better decisions than kids. Kids are all over the place, right? Because you gain, they get excited. And they go, well, we're gonna, and the mom and dad goes, no, we're not like having pie for dinner. We eat food. And the kid goes, that is food. It's just good food. But he says, man, don't be tossed to and fro. And, and again, some of us, man, we're carried about by every wind of doctrine. And listen how he says it, by the trickery of men and the cunning crafted, craftiness of deceitful plotting. Wow. You see, because I think a lot of the false teachers today aren't necessarily... I don't think they woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm gonna be a false teacher and I'm gonna mess with the church and I'm gonna mess it up and I'm gonna do what I can to get people off course. I think a lot of them are sincere, but they have been deceived by the great deceiver. I think when he's talking at the end here, when he says, listen, that by the craftiness of deceitful plotting, we have an enemy of our souls that wants to destroy and as believers, listen, as believers, if he can shut us down, get us off track, whatever, I'm not saying you're gonna not go to heaven. I'm not saying he's gonna take away your salvation. But man, if he, can, if he can derail you and get you off on something and get you doing something, man, he is crafty and deceitful and we need to be careful. How can I know and guard against such things? There's only one way. right here it's this thing called the bible that is going to keep you saved i was i was gonna tease you all and say there's only one way listening to me every week <laughs> that woke you up good there's only one way by getting into this if you're in your word why do we over and over and over tell people read through your bible every year Pick up your Bible and read it. Get in the Word because that is going to guard our hearts. That is going to keep us from being deceived and that is going to keep us from getting into that trickery stuff that we read. And all of a sudden, listen, man, all of a sudden something comes up that's not biblical and your antennae go up and you go boom, 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 boom. I'm not going to listen to you. Used to be, I don't know if it's true anymore. I don't, you know, I haven't, I haven't paid attention. I know for years they said, how do, you, how do they train people who work in a bank to guard against counterfeit bills? And, I, and this may be really old, but they used to what? They told them, you handle real money all day long. And you just touch it and handle it and touch it and handle it. And then the minute something counterfeit comes, boom, you can tell right away. 
Well, I think that's what we need to do here. How can I tell if somebody's using trickery to get me off course? By knowing the truth, by getting into the truth again. And that goes back to being built up, doing the work of the ministry, so the body of Christ is edified, so we're, we're who we're supposed to be. Then, listen, then he goes on, so we don't want to be those kids throwing all over and doing that. And then he goes on, and here's the part that a lot of us, I think, kind of can get messed up. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So here's what he's letting us know, that we need to speak the truth in love. What does that look like? How do we speak the truth in love? I, I think... I think we could phrase it a little bit different by being completely honest. Someone says it this way. They, says, they, say, they, says, they say this. Truth without love is brutality and love without the truth is hypocrisy. You see, you need both. And it sometimes bothers me when people go, well, we just need more love. No, that was the Beatles. <laughs> we need truth and love. Because if you just have love, listen, it's gonna get mushy, you're gonna get, you're gonna get duped, you're gonna get messed up. If you just have truth, you're gonna get into legalism, you're gonna get off rail, you're gonna get all of that. I was, again, talking to someone this morning about, about the whole thing. Hey, if you have somebody that's hitting you hard and every time you listen to them and they're just pounding on you and hitting you down, you're gonna become very legalistic. And that's not healthy. We need the truth and love. And when truth and love come together, here's what happens. The body of Christ begins to grow up. And he says, what does he say when we have truth and love? He says, when we speak the truth and love, we grow up in all things into him who is the head. Who are we following in this thing called Christianity? Who is the one we look to? Hopefully it's Christ, right? Hopefully he's our head. Once again, as a staff, we pray all the time that we would know God's will and what the Lord wants. It's not important. Listen, I have, I have some things that I want to see done, but those aren't important. What's important is what does God want done and what is, you know, Jesus is ahead. So he's going to be our head, and then it gets a little bit complex here. Listen to what he says. Verse 16 is like, wow. He says, for whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Did you get all that? I mean, that's a whole bunch, man. I'm reading that and I'm going, dude, you know, sometimes Paul, I'm just thinking, sometimes I'm going, Paul, why would you write it like that? Joints and coming together and this part doing that and every part, every joint supplies what it's supposed to do and effective working of every part. Are you getting how he keeps coming back to every joint, every part, all of them working together? How many of you tonight are really glad your body does what it's supposed to do? Like your arms do what they're supposed to do? Your legs do what they're supposed to do. Your lungs do what they're supposed to do. Wouldn't it be a really drag if your lung wanted to just pop out? <laughs> Tired of being in here. I just want out here. And it is interesting that Paul would continually talk about the body, physical body, as an example or 
as an illustration of the body of Christ. And he ends this whole section with this. How are we gonna be built up? How are we gonna come together and really be, I mean, really be the church? I, I believe, listen, you guys come on Thursday night. You gotta love God. You're coming out on Thursday night, you gotta, you, you gotta be people who you're concerned about your spiritual health. And here's what he's saying. Listen, this is so important. He says, hey, how do we become the church? We become the church very simple. Every joint needs to be joined together. Every part needs to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then you begin to see the maturity of the body working. How good is that? Listen, man, he starts this whole thing about, about you know, Jesus risen and, and, and we've seen him and he gives gifts and he does that. And he ends this whole thing with, listen, he says, he says, all of this is coming together, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're supposed to be doing this. And saints, why aren't we? If you're not doing what God has called you to do, listen, I don't know. I don't know everybody who's serving and where they're serving and what they're doing. And we don't do little questionnaires. I don't ask you on the way out, are you really serving Jesus? Because frankly, in some ways, it's none of my business. It's part of my business to push you in that direction and to do what I can. But frankly, listen, we're not people who keep tabs on people. We don't, you know, some, some, some of you, you get upset like, you say, you know, I've been coming to this church for five years and never got a phone call. Guess what? In 15 years, you probably won't get a phone call because we're just not that kind of church. We're not keeping tabs on you. That doesn't mean we don't care about you, but we're not that kind. We're not, we're not gonna be asking you, what are you doing? Are you serving? Are you doing this? We let you know of opportunities. We give you space that if you want to serve, you can serve. We even put a thing in the back of the chair to guilt trip you a little bit. That you can see what does it take to make ministry happen at Calvary every week and, and kind of put that in front of you so you can see that. Some of you are looking at that saying, I never read that thing. <laughs> Pull it out and read it. But listen, we will never be what God intends us to be until, listen carefully, every joint Every part is doing their work. Then we will be what God wants us to be. So you know what? The best thing you can do is find out what God wants you to do. And he'll show you. Again, people tell me, I've asked God for, you know, 15 years and he's never shown me. And I go, oh, he's shown you. You just go, nope. And he shows you again, you go, nope. So just kind of keep that in mind. Now, we could go on into 17, but we're gonna stop here and do that next week. So we're stopping a little bit early. So let's take some time to think about, listen, as we get ready and we close up, you don't have to run out of here. You can stop and take some time and think about, am I really, am I really doing what God wants me to do? Or am I just like showing up? You can answer that, I can't. And that's up to you, but you know what? Let the Holy Spirit work in your life because as I read through this section, here's the one thing I read. Jesus is the one who is going to cause his body to become mature. 
We can do a bunch of stuff on church growth. We can do a bunch of stuff. I can read some stuff on how to manipulate people and how to do things. That's not church growth. That's manipulation. Church growth is when the Holy Spirit begins to work in the hearts and the lives of God's people in a miraculous way. That's real church growth. And that's what I want to see happen here at Calvary. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you, Lord. I thank you for your challenge. I thank you, God, as we think about, as we just look at this section and think about what we read and what does that really mean in our lives? Is it really that tangible for us? And I pray, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing here that God, we wouldn't be satisfied tonight until we hear from you. And that we would be convinced that as we do our part, that all of that that we read, I, the whole thing about the perfect man, about being a mature uh, and, and being that fulfillment of what Jesus sees and about the body coming to its fullness. Lord, I pray, I pray that that wouldn't just be something we read in the, in the book of Ephesians, but it would be a, a yearning for our hearts to see you do something truly amazing in our midst. Again, I think we live in a powerful time. We live in a time where, you know, our world is upside down backwards and seems to be going in a, in a horrible direction and we can sit and complain about it or we can be the body of Christ that is going to make a difference in this world because we are the body of Christ and it is gonna take every single one of us in order to shine brightly for this world. So God, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in the attitude of prayer just for a little bit longer. And if you are here tonight and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never asked him to forgive your sins and to come into your life, I wanna give you an opportunity tonight to do that. And once again, maybe you've come to Calvary for a long time and uh, you know, you're, kinda, you're kinda thinking tonight, man, golly, I need to do that. I kind of like to say it this way, and I know it's sometimes a little bit embarrassing, but maybe you're a poser, you know, and you've learned how to fake it. And tonight, God touched your heart because you know you're faking it because you know what? You haven't changed. And in your heart of hearts, you know you need to call on his name. If I'm talking to you, then you know what? I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. You can say this prayer after me. You can say it silently, or you can say it out loud but it's gotta be sincere. If you're backslidden tonight, come home. Come back to Jesus. Say this prayer with us and, and mean it sincerely and, and call on his name. If you're sitting or if you're at home and you're watching online, you can say the prayer right there. You don't have to be in this building to call on the name of the Lord. Jesus, tonight, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And tonight I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight 
for your forgiveness. And right now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Tonight I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.